Uh, hi, everybody. Nice to see you. Uh, we're doing a fun one today. Quick one. Serious one. Uh, welcome to the program. My name is Dean. As always, uh, lovely that you're here. Brought to you by our friends at Cantor. Go to Cantorque.com for more information on how you can get a bolting, loosening fat, this fastening solution in the hydraulic torque wrench industry. Colin will help you out. New website coming soon. And, of course, brought to you by our friends at Muse on the Mic podcast. Go and download the Muse on the Mic podcast. These are women that advocate for other women in the world's oldest profession. Very fun. You'll enjoy it. Go and see our friends at Muse at 1290. Finch Avenue West in Toronto, and um, I needed some help for this podcast. We're gonna have some an interesting conversation today. Uh, Charles Adler, who is uh, one of my very close friends and who is a legend, a giant in the industry of broadcasting, um, put out something yesterday about Veterans Day, and it was this heartfelt eight minutes that matter. Usually, Charles has a, a wonderful podcast. It's called the Charles Adler Podcast, and usually he puts out these you know, daily addendums to what he's thinking and what he wants to talk about in long form, three minute chunks called three minutes that matter. Eight minutes really matter to him. Uh, and we're going to lean into his eight minutes and we're going to talk about a couple of things that are eh, difficult to talk about, but kind of state of the union, right? State of the union of how we perceive people, how we perceive ourselves um, and what's really important uh, as we have chaos that erupts around us and how we fashion that information and how we manage on a day to day basis. Joining me now, uh, please welcome my friend. Thank you. Your 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 white hat is very different than the black hat. Usually, you got the black hat, the black shirt. You're going white hat, black shirt. I'm confused. Yeah, yeah. There's no uh, deep meaning to that. Uh, <laughs> I I the, the black hat went into the laundry. Yeah, and didn't come out. So at all, like you lost. No, it? I don't. I don't. I, I, it's 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 somewhere. But you know how some people lose lose a sock. Like it doesn't matter how many socks they have. They're oh, always it's losing the socks. bane of my existence. Yeah. By so, the way, is where you're yeah. you're yanking out your laundry and all of, you've got like four pairs of socks minus one. Yeah. And you yeah. do that like you know for two three months and you have ten pairs of different socks and you're like I have no idea where this black hole of socks is but I really would like to find it. So I put three hats into the laundry and um, two have been retrieved and I don't know where the black hat is but <laughs> eventually. <laughs> Hats and socks, huh? They're so, all part uh, of the part of the same running routine. So, for those who are finding deep meaning to uh, yours truly wearing a white hat, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't want to stop you, Chuck. You know, no, dude, go with it. You're the white hat version of every other media person in this country. You're the only person with a soul in Canada. You should wear that white hat all as right. a, a way to protest against the mung that we see yes. out there, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about today. But um, no let's. Can we get to your eight minutes real quick? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I want to encourage everybody to go and listen to it at Charles Adler uh, is where you can find it. It's on his Twitter feed. It's as well where you can get his fine podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. We just went through Veterans Day um, and uh, Remembrance Day up in here in Canada and the United States. I call it Veterans Day where we pay tribute to our war dead. Um, you shared something in your eight minutes. You've only, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have a, I believe, a pretty intimate intellectual and emotional relationship with you, professional relationship with you. And you shared with me the stories, um, you know, of your nightmares. And you shared that story in your eight minutes. Um, and it was, well, we just finished talking about it. I was in tears. I've watched it several times. The accountability with which you talk about something that has been bothering you your entire life. Um can you get into that for me? Can we talk about that well, a little bit? Well, sure. I, I think one of the most difficult uh, things for people to talk about, depending on what uh, they've experienced, uh, and you can experience trauma firsthand. You can also experience it uh, through people that you love, in my case, uh, through my parents who were Holocaust survivors. And one of the most difficult things about um, being alive uh, is not feeling joy at times when everyone else around you is. Uh, and uh, it gets beyond that. Uh, what's very, very difficult sometimes is feeling guilt for the opportunity of, of, of being alive. And um, I've been uh, far more fortunate than any human being deserves to be in terms of my career and, and people like Dean Blundell knocking on, on my door and asking me to join them. And so I've had a, a lot of phone calls over the years from people uh, inviting me to 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 join them in, in in prosperous and prospering enterprises, and so on the one hand, I'm uh, you know one one very very lucky person among the luckiest people on earth. 
But one of the things I guess that uh, is somewhat difficult to talk about is there never has been an opportunity that's knocked on my door where I wasn't supposed to respond with a whole lot of joy and I had to put it on. I had to fake a certain amount of joy because very often I didn't, I didn't feel uh, joyful. It wasn't that I wasn't grateful for the opportunities extended to me. It's just that um, I've had uh, trouble at times uh, feeling guilty about, about having, having life itself because uh, so many members of my extended family uh, lost theirs. And uh, both my parents uh, suffered. Uh, my, my, my father has passed, so my mother is thankfully still with us, but both of them have suffered all their lives. Uh, well, since since 1944, with the survivor's guilt. And they didn't mean to pass it on, but stuff happens. And so uh, sometimes when I feel guilty just for being alive, I respond inappropriately in terms of inside my own head uh, to so-called good news. So-called good news, which is supposed to put a, a smile on my face, and I've learned over the years how to smile when, when I need to. Um, brings about the opposite uh, on the inside. So the, the dream was about uh, a young man with a shovel in a military cemetery in France, digging a grave. But he wasn't digging a grave for his heroes. Uh, he was uh, digging a grave uh, for himself. This is a dream that you've had your whole life. Uh, you know, in your eight minutes, you said... Um, you know, since you've had life, it's a dream that you can remember. And I know you shared that with me, you know, if I can, in a in a couple of conversations we've had. And you and I have a pretty unique relationship where we support each other and we talk about vulnerable things, how we feel, things we go through, different psychopathies, how we manage. Um, and when you shared that dream with me, um, you know, I thought about it in terms of like your whole life, you're 69 years old your whole life, you wake up with these dreams. What, what is that interpretation? And, and when did it start? You talk about survival's guilt, survivor's guilt, you know, being passed down to you, but where, where did that start and how does it affect you still to this day? Well, it just, it just started with being uh, told in various conversations when I was very young by both my mother and my father, uh, if they had been given a choice by Hitler to, spare their mother's lives. In the case of my, my mother, it would have been other members of her family, specifically um, very, very young uh, children who were um, uh, nieces and nephews, babies. Uh, and if she could have given her life to spare theirs, she would have happily done that bargain. And my father told me that several times, and with him it was about his, uh, his beloved mother, that he would have traded his life for his mother's. And so I guess it was the, the psyche is what it is. It's impossible for someone to hear that message um, and not uh, internalize it. And so internally, uh, I guess in my dreams, uh, what I'm saying to myself is that I'd I'd like to trade my life uh, for uh, for those whose lives were extinguished, if I could. Is it, uh, is it been preventative in your life? You know, like the, and when I say preventative, I mean, you know, we, I, I can't, you know, you don't understand anybody until you walk a mile in their shoes until they share like their most vulnerable, uh, moments with you, you know, and, and, and I know what, I know what fear can do, right. You know, wh whether it's fear of failure or fear of surviving and you talk about not having any joy, this kind of formless existence that, that you live, do you, are you still dealing with that preventative feeling where something good happens and you kind of, you know, not revolt, but you turtle or you go back into that dream that you don't deserve this life because you've been told that you shouldn't be here. Is that is that part of the equation for you, Charles? Sure. I mean, uh, it, it affects me in, in, in different ways every day. One of the small ways it affects me is I have, I, I don't suffer fools uh, and I don't suffer small talk uh, very well. You know, yeah. and in, 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 in all of the years of, of radio, you know, I've experienced you that. 
by the way, with you, you encounter <laughs> you encounter uh, you encounter certain uh, certain bosses, program directors, producers, where have you, who almost force you to talk about whatever is hot today on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if if today on Facebook, I'm supposed to get excited about, uh, you know, whatever Taylor Swift is wearing, uh, you know, and do I prefer her in orange uh, as opposed to blue? I, I end up not not doing it. I just, I can't even fake it. And it's not that I don't respect Taylor Swift. I don't respect her talent. I, I just don't, uh, I don't do very well with um, the small talk that's extremely small. I have no trouble with the idea of interviewing Taylor Swift or anybody else. But I'm certainly not going to waste Taylor Swift's time asking her whether she prefers blue to orange, and if so, why so? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, the 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 idea that there are more important things at play here, right? And you know, it it's interesting, you know, the timing of your eight minutes and the story that you shared with us about uh, your nightmare of um, of standing in that French cemetery with a shovel in your hand, shoveling soil. Um, and the interpretation of that and how long you've been dealing with that, obviously, um, you know, but it also, you know, leans into a lot of the chaos that we see on a daily basis. Right. You know, like I, I wonder about, you know, when I when I saw last night and it's just just a quick example. Last night, uh, Justin Trudeau's out for dinner. Right. He's, yeah. he's at a restaurant in Vancouver and he's surrounded by protesters, 250 of them. A hundred police people, a hundred policemen and women in the greater Vancouver area needed to be called just so he could just so he could leave dinner. Now, this is about the Israel Gaza war. This is about, you know, the narratives that are pushed on both sides. This is about feeding some kind of some kind of narrative, you know, and 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 listen, I'm not I'm not here to talk about the conflict. I'm not here to talk about the merits of any side anybody should take. I'm not here to do you're that. You're not going to be you're not going to be an armchair no. general like all those no. people <laughs> no. telling the Palestinians <laughs> and the Israelis how to how to fight a war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, this is what's really important to Dean in Toronto about the Israel-Gaza conflict. No, I'm not that guy. Um, but you watch it affect so many people and you watch the chaos and it manifests itself in you personally. You shared that that story personally, right? But we're only told what we're told and we form opinions and we live our lives according to those things. And sometimes it gets overwhelming, becomes preventative. But those those stories and those narratives that are told to us, um, whether they be familial or whether they be in the news. And I think in terms of the news that we get about the terrible things that are going on in the world, the genocide that's going on in the world, the wars and rumors of wars, culture wars, class wars, real wars, military wars. Um, we, we are, we are taught to respond. You know, you, I'm watching public responses and your private response and you can only control what you can control. But what do you make of what people are being told, um, about, about history or new history, about what we're supposed to believe and what we're not today? Because that's what I, that's where I get stuck. That's where my wheels turn with stuff like Israel Gaza. It's like, you know, I'm not going to believe certain people from certain outlets or I'm not going to believe certain narratives. I need to find those things out for myself because of the emotional response it brings out in me. Right. Because my concern is for innocent people. It's for human beings. It's not for industrial complexes or the military. It just isn't. Well, you know, the thing is that war has nothing to do with innocent human beings. And uh, for people who pretend it does, and they keep talking about the, the rules of war, and all these different countries always talk about the rules of war. If any of those countries had ever obeyed those rules, they wouldn't have those countries. You know, countries go to war, and uh, it's impossible to break things and people, which is what war is all about. You're breaking stuff, and you're breaking people. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to do that without killing innocent people. So am I a warmonger? No. But am I someone who understands that when your country has been attacked, in whichever way, I'm not going to get into all the graphic detail of what happened on October 7th. I'm going to presume that anyone listening to this knows. I'm not uh, going to get into all the specifics. All I can say is, if any community in Canada is attacked the way those communities were on October 7th in southern Israel, every living soul in every one of these uh, communities who survived the attack would demand that their community Uh, their town, their province, their country, their military, defend them. That's 
the way the cookie crumbles. And it's impossible, in this case, for the Israeli military to defend that border, to defend the people in, in southern Israel from the threat uh, coming from Hamas, located in Gaza, without killing a lot of Palestinians. And do I bleed for every Palestinian who is bleeding? Of course I do. Do I, uh, do I celebrate when I see pictures of, of dead Palestinian children? Of course not. Uh, do I understand why some Palestinians want to dance in the streets when they've got the news that Israeli children have been killed? I, no, I don't understand it. And I, I, can, I can go to all this business about the, the culture of death and this and that and get into what you know, radical Islam is about, but just not interested. Mm-hmm. Not interested in that conversation. It, it's bizarre. Um, but to, to take sides uh, you know, in terms of the big picture uh, is, is, is borderline ridiculous. You know, it, it's easy for me to say that you can't contextualize uh, the attack on Israel. Well, of course you can. Of course you can contextualize it. There's a, there's a dispute there. And, and reasonable people have not been reasonable. The, the unreasonable people on both sides, on the Palestinian side and the Israeli side, the unreasonable people are in power. Mm-hmm. And when you have unreasonable people in power, horrible things happen. That's the story of history. It's got nothing to do with Gaza and Israel. It's about the depravity of the human condition, and it's on display here. And for those people who, who want to say that, you know, this is the good side and this is the evil side, I'm sorry. Um, I don't mean to I don't mean to get overly emotional here, mm. but I wasn't allowed to be a child when I was a child. So I'm not going to allow myself to be a child now when it comes to war. I, 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 don't, I don't wish to be childish. And, and good and evil is, is, frankly, you know, much of the time when it's, when it's talked about in, in propagandistic terms, appeals to the child inside us. Mm-hmm. But there are horrible, horrible people on both sides of, of, of this particular dispute. And I just wish the damn thing would end. Mm-hmm. But it, it would be childish for me to think that it can come to an end quickly just because... I wish it so. I wish for a lot of things. I am an idealist at heart, even though I have my sadness, and I think everyone now understands where some of that sadness is coming from. Mm -hmm. I'm an idealist at heart. I still hope for the best. I'm blown away by what the human condition has been able to achieve over the years in science, in art, in doing good for others. I am blown away how many people can go to their better angels in spite of all this crap that we have around us. But no, I'm not going to get sucked into this business of, of good and evil in Israel versus Palestine. The Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by factcheck.io. Factcheck.io, makers of the world's most comprehensive fact-checking software that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information so that you can give yourself agency over information in the age of disinformation. Again, want to beta test their product? They're going to launch it in the next month or two. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K. .io. Back to the show. As always, the Dean Blundell Show is brought to you by our friends at factcheck.io. Factcheck.io. Do you believe? The good people at FactCheck are a quorum of software professionals, psychological professionals, journalists that have been very busy building some software so that you can fact check anything that you read. It doesn't matter if it's got a URL, you'll be able to fact check it. Alternative sources, origins, whether or not it was an organic or inorganic campaign, whether or not you can trust the people that are putting out the information and alternative sources. And there's going to be a weapon button too, where you can turn that information around and put it back out there accurately to combat disinformation. The good people at factcheck.io are right now testing their beta version of their free program. Yes, it will be free for anybody who wants to use it. They want to battle disinformation because it is a problem. Go to factcheck.io today. F-A-K-T-C-H-E. 
F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. The world's most robust fact-checking disinformation software for news, social media, video, print, anything spoken word. These people are on the tip and they use some of the finest software technology to be able to give you the advantage when it comes to getting agency back in your life, when it comes to information that you read. Go to factcheck.io today for more information. Sign up for the beta test, F-A-K-T-C-H-E-K.io. It seems to be the modus operandi of the PR that we see um, on behalf of this war, right? Which is how do we... How do we activate people around the world for us, right? And, um, you know, without getting into who, going back to what I saw last night in Vancouver with Justin Trudeau being yelled at by 250 people screaming ceasefire, that, that, that's from people getting ginned up on social media. That's from people not understanding what's at stake. That's from people not having a stake in this, right? A lot like you have a stake because you have a history and you have a nightmare, a recurring nightmare that is a result of um, Jewish people being murdered in the Holocaust, including your family. So, you know, you have this incredible ability that not many people have to zoom out regardless of your personal nightmare, right? Well, let's take, let's take, let's talk about ceasefires. Okay. Let's talk about how absurd ceasefires are, and we can put it in, in context with, with, with World War II and, and, and the Holocaust. I mean, that, that's just so drop that easy. Um, you had Canadians and Brits and Americans and some others, but those are the, two, those are the three major players, um, uh, the U.S., the U.K., Canada, D-Day, one of the most important days in the history of civilization. It was one of those days where the world, the civilized world, the world that wanted to fight fascism, got the message that not only did we have the fight in us, we were going to take it to the Nazis, and we took it to them on D-Day. We took it to the beaches of France, the country where the cemetery is of my nightmares. I just want to say that while... I have had that recurring nightmare. It was in a French military cemetery, which is where my heroes are. Without my heroes, most of whom are buried in France, without the fight they gave the Nazis on on D-Day and other days, um, I would not be alive. So I don't want to try to turn a nightmare into something positive, but I just want to give context uh, to the nightmare. So here it is. If Eisenhower, the leader of D-Day, uh, the U.S. general, if, if, if Eisenhower and his British and Canadian counterparts had decided three or four weeks after D-Day to have a ceasefire, I think, Dean, you and everyone paying attention to this would know precisely what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But in short we would have lost the war and fascism would have won. So the idea of D-Day and all the days going forward was to defeat fascism. If you can defeat fascism in three weeks, wonderful, genius, wonderful. If you can disable Hamas within two or three weeks, wonderful. I wish it were so. I wish it could be done. But people around the world have got to understand something. There never has been a ceasefire within two or three weeks of a serious conflict because the objectives in serious conflicts are to disable, dismember, to defeat the other side. Mm -hmm. It can't be done. You can't win a hockey game in three minutes. It takes three periods and it takes a hell of a lot more than three weeks to fight a war. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe that, then I'm sorry. You're involved in in childishness. Mm -hmm. And this is not a childish conversation. This is an adult conversation. And so it bothers the hell out of me that many members of media want to involve themselves in, in being armchair generals and being childish in this business about the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. And as far as the protest, the demonstration in Vancouver uh, against Justin Trudeau, I'm sorry, bullhorning F. Trudeau and every other 
epithet about Trudeau, that, that is not a celebration of democracy. That is not a protest or a demonstration. That is something that is vile. And that is something that every political leader in this country should stand against. Democracy is larger than partisan politics. Mm-hmm. And partisan politicians should drop their partisanship and denounce that kind of activity. Mm-hmm. And I don't expect that Pierre Polyev will, and I don't expect that Jagmeet Singh will, but I would have a hell of a lot more respect for those gentlemen mm-hmm. if they were to do that. Yeah, I would too. Um, name I want to bring up, Vivian Silver, a Canadian woman who worked tirelessly in Israel, lived in a kibbutz that was affected. She was kidnapped, worked tirelessly for uh, Israeli-Palestinian relationships. She was an activist. Uh, she was found dead, murdered, tortured uh, not long ago. People wondered where she was. She was uh, one of those Canadian stories, one of those horrific Canadian stories to come out of October 7th. Um, news articles about Miss Silver's death painted her as she died. You know, this woman just died. Yeah. Um, there was this lack of commitment to truth. Lack of one of, one of them. Truth. One of them certainly did. One of them really stuck out. It was a CTV, yeah, a bulletin, a CTV news alert. You know, breaking news. Yeah, um, she she died. Uh, Vivian Silver died, uh, and uh, she's been found. Uh, she she went missing. I, I I don't I don't know who does these uh, these headlines, uh, what they're thinking. Uh, I guess we, we're living in a world where people bend over backwards uh, not to offend others. Uh, and so in trying not to offend anyone, they, they make fools of themselves. Yeah. Um, she didn't go missing. Uh, she was murdered and she was burned. And, uh, I, I don't have to have much of an imagination. I don't expect anyone has to have one to know that if it takes 30 days to figure out who these remains belong to, you can just imagine Uh, what condition those remains were in. That's why it took that long. So she didn't go missing. She was murdered. And what was missing was confirmation. So the headline is drop dead simple. And if this offends someone, I'm sorry. I've got to tell them to grow up. The headline is really simple. Breaking news. Confirmation of Vivian Silver's death has been discovered in Israel. Forensic analysts have discovered that the remains of one Vivian Silver have been discovered in her home in Israel. That, that, that's the headline. We, 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 nobody knew where she was, and now we know she was murdered by Hamas, and they did to her what they did to many others. They burned her. I don't know whether they burned her alive or whether they waited for her to die because they did... Both. That's what some terrorist organizations do, like ISIS, like Hamas. I'm not trying to engender hate here. I'm just trying to tell the truth. And if if telling the truth is no longer interesting for people, if they'd rather just have fantasies, that that's fine. But that's not the role that that I'm going to play. I'm no longer I'm no no more interested in in creating fantasies than I am in indulging in in small talk about. What color shorts Taylor Swift is wearing? Blue or red, I believe, was the uh, or orange. I think was the thing. Um, but you you um, you touch on something, and again, you know, and, and the reason why I brought this up, and, and you you use the word childlike or childish, right? Is this inability to commit, and and you know, we talk about playing both sides for effect. I have seen nothing but in the news. I have seen nothing but people news outlets, organizations take the easy way out. And that was a tremendous example of that childishness, right? Um, you know, not, not to pivot because this is a serious subject. Same thing with the convoy. Same thing with COVID. Same thing with anything to do with any level of commitment to the right thing that really, really matters in the moment. You know, we seem to, the media in this country, and, and, and I, you know, I'm not going to get into it and get pejorative about an entire industry which i don't like but i've been embarrassed you know over the past i would say three four years to have been a member of mainstream or traditional media and when i read that headline about vivian silver um 
and it, it had nothing to do with anything anybody posted like hey at least commit to the idea that she was tortured and murdered at least tell the truth about it instead of trying to wash this but the consistent washing of information that would be helpful to everybody in understanding what's at stake and what really is going on around us and who the people are that we need to hold accountable right like i always thought that that was the case with with media i always thought that they would eh, and, and then now i think about the internet which i think is the greatest thing in the world which is giving us the ability to get information out to people to be honest about these things and have these conversations but i find that you know as disingenuous as these headlines are they're disingenuous for a reason and it has not just led to a lack of respect for certain outlets and an industry together but i've i've seen it also end up causing things like protests where people can't leave dinner people are fighting people are getting their eyes gouged that happened last night in vancouver you know protests that are erupting around the world over something that generally speaking the protesters don't have any historical information about there's no education about these things like nothing right what is it that you want to see because I truly believe you're one of the one of the the guiding stars in media in this country. What is it that you would like to see in terms of reporting or storytelling when it comes to being accountable to the truth? Well, where I this would, is concerned, I would, I would simply want uh, media professionals to follow the the rules of the trade. You know, if you don't have a reliable source, you don't have a story. You can't just go with the the uh, the. the Gaza Ministry of Health, which is Hamas, and declare that everything they say is a fact. You, 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 you can't do that. Yeah, but why are they unwilling to see Chuck? And here's my question. Why are they unwilling to commit if we all know Hamas is a terrorist organization? Like watching people like dive bomb the idea that Hamas isn't a terrorist organization is is unbelievable to me. I see it all the time from reputable people because they because know they don't they don't want to offend they don't want to offend some people who are now part of the progressive movement. I mean, I laugh at the fact that that for years, just because I had a feud with Jason Kenney, and I'm not happy with the Conservative Party of Canada, and I basically think of myself as a progressive conservative, and people say, "Chuck, leave it alone. Progressive conservatism is is dead. You either join this Reform Party or you support this Reform Party now called the Conservative Party, or you're just SOL." Well, whatever. I mean, I'm 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 a you know, for for many years, I just thought of myself as a you know, in Ontario terms, a, a Bill Davis conservative, in Alberta terms, a, a Peter Lougheed conservative. That that was closest to uh, to my worldview. That was closest to my view that I'm an incredibly enthusiastic supporter of of the private sector, of business, especially family business. That's that's the world that I come from, and uh, I, I I want a, a a secure social safety net. Because I've realized that there are many inequalities in the world, no matter how much I want everyone to have equal opportunity and everyone to have the same access. I realize that some people get a better education than others. Some people get a better education on the street than others do at universities. Some people don't get educated. Some people are raised with, 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 with ignorant people and they, they blindly follow ignorant people and they end up hitting a lot of walls. But I want people to have the basics. I want people to have basic health care. I want people to have a roof over their head. I want them to have food in their stomach. I want to have a society with a strong social safety net. And the only way to have that is to have a thriving private sector. So the only party that in my mind, as I was growing up, made a lot of sense to me in terms of supporting both a strong social safety net and a strong private sector, the progressive conservatives. So whether it was provincial or federal, that's who I tended to support. And uh, in the last number of years, I've been bickering with the Conservative Party of Canada, which I feel has left some of those progressive values uh, in the ditch. And uh, they have pandered to a lot of ugliness, uh, to a lot of phobia, uh, to a lot of hate, um, to a lot of religious fundamentalism. And so we've had our, our disputes. But because of that, because I've been very public about that, some people have thought, oh, Chuck's out there on the far left. He's this far left progressive guy. And I, I guess they find out I'm not a far left progressive guy because I'm not part of all this pro-Hamas stuff that's going on or this rationalizing of Hamas that's going on. Mm -hmm. if, if progressive now means rationalizing terrorism and pretending that terrorists aren't terrorists, like what? No, goodbye, progressivism. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, was, I was never a member in the first place. But for those people who wanted to 
misplace me in 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 in, in your barracks. I I never went into those barracks. I was never a soldier uh, for for far left uh, progressivism. And no, I don't think of his progress. I don't think of progressive conservatism as far left progressivism. For those people who are out there on the far right, it goes you know, Chuck Chuck's BSing this. No difference between progressive conservatism and and the stuff that he's talking about. Mm, yeah, and, and you know what? It's um, it, it's 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 sort of a like a chicken soup, right? Like when you when it comes to how I feel or how you feel according to the convictions and nightmares you have, according to the things that you see. Um, I zoom out on this issue, um, you know, and, and, and when I zoom out on this issue, I zoom out at my own risk. I think a lot of people do. They're like, oh, you got to stand for something. Um, and one of the things that I stand for in this is proper information, getting to the, the people who are the most misinformed. Right. Um, and there's got to be a better way to tell the story about the history of what's going on over there. Um, but it seems to get choked off and it gets choked off because a lot of political parties and I've watched progressives use this as a way to virtue signal and i've watched conservatives or traditionalists use this as a way to virtue signal and i, I i'd love your thoughts on it real quick because I, I think that's what makes me the sickest about the human suffering that we see is that to people in this country depending on what media outlet you're running and what those relationships serve what political party they serve you will support said narrative Right. You will support whatever that narrative is. And that narrative usually is is used as a cudgel. And so to see this as a performative based election issue for certain parties in this country, um, that's the part that makes me the sickest right now. When you see some of the visuals that are coming out of that area and you understand the history and you know what's at play. Um, I and I get it. Like, I get why the Polyevs and the conservatives of this world are going hard on behalf of their narrative. And I get why progressives on the left are going hard after their narrative. But don't you find that childish and childlike as well and gross? Well, the conservatives are the conservatives think they've won this big victory because Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, scolded uh, Justin Trudeau. Mm -hmm. And I, I just I can't think of anything more ridiculous in the world. I mean, it, yes, part part of it is is my my heritage, speaking here. But my God, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's got people in his cabinet who are far, far, far right, who have been very open about um, thinking of, of of Palestinians as I'm not I'm not going to use the words, but basically as as subhuman. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them, uh, a person in the Benjamin Netanyahu cabinet, one of them has, has a picture of Baruch Goldstein up on, on his wall. Baruch Goldstein was this radical Jewish extremist who, who many years ago gunned down a score of Palestinian people worshipping in their mosque. And this asshole has a, a picture of Baruch Goldstein on his wall. And Benjamin Netanyahu has his has this guy in his cabinet. And so what am I supposed to, am I supposed to sit here and say it's embarrassing for me to have Benjamin Netanyahu scold Justin Trudeau? I'm embarrassed as a king. I don't give a rat's ass what Benjamin Netanyahu says about anything. Benjamin Netanyahu was even a, 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 a tenth of who he thinks he is. We would never have had this attack on October 7th in the first place. Mm. And at some point there will be an inquiry in Israel that'll point its fingers with evidence right in the eyeballs of Benjamin Netanyahu, who for years has considered Hamas his friend because helping to support Hamas in Gaza and, and supporting those who would support Hamas in Gaza made, made Hamas, made Palestinian governance lack credibility. And as long as Palestinian governance in Gaza lack credibility, then the idea of the the, the, the two-state solution lacked credibility. The idea of a Palestinian state and an Israeli state, which is what I support and what I think most decent people do support. Most people support both the Jews and the Palestinians having homelands. I mean, my homeland is Canada. When people ask me in this conflict who would I, who I support, I support Canada. The most important document in my life is my Canadian passport. Mm. And Canada is the Adler family promised land. 
This is where we fled from authoritarianism. This is the country that accepted us. My entire career, my entire life is a thank you card to Canada. So no, I don't have any trouble picking sides. Mm. I pick Canada. Mm. Yeah, you see so many people give that away, right? As an immigrant to Canada, which I am. You know, I put out a tweet the other day uh, that basically said, is anybody else bothered by the fact that a conflict on the other side of the world prevents people from feeding their families and getting to the train station on time on this side of our world? You know, and, and, and are we upset that Abrahamic faiths are allowed to go out and fight each other on the streets over a conflict that's happening on the other side of the world? And I know that that's a really, as the kids would say, Chuck, a based way of looking at it. Right. Like, I know that that's how they look. And, and I've had conversations with people on this podcast about that being a based perspective. But to your point, in wrapping this up and bringing it all the way back around, um, to me, it sounds like, you know, your perspective, which is a human perspective, comes from something that has either hardened someone's position on whether or not Israel, you know, is entitled to do whatever they want because, you know, never forget. Or it's given you the opportunity to see what happens to marginalized people, what happens to entire cultures when barbarism is allowed to happen, right? And I find that fascinating about you is that you have this innate ability to look at, you know, the pain and the suffering that is being visited on and has been visited on Jewish people on October 7th and is currently being visited on people who are being told that they are subhuman by another country. And, and I mean, listen, it goes both ways. It's like that Spider-Man thing, right? The, the old meme where they're pointing at each other. It's like, no, 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 we're marginalized. No, we're marginalized. All, all these other things. But your dreams and your nightmares give you sympathy, you know, it seems like, for the human suffering because you've lived it. I think that... Uh those of us who are human beings with Canadian citizenship are some of the luckiest people on earth. And by the way, Dean, it, it, um, I'm not crazy about this when, when the world, uh, soccer tournament is on. So it's not about war. Um, call me nuts. Uh, I don't, I don't get off on seeing foreign flags flown in, in my country. Mm, uh, this is, this is Canada. If you want to fly the Canadian flag, God bless them. Fly it every day. Fly it 24-7. Fly it on your, your car. Fly it on your home. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, but when I see foreign flags, uh, which are uh, flown, especially uh, uh, which are displayed in Canada to provoke uh, the other side, um, I, um, I get very sad. Yeah. Uh, we are a great country. Uh, and... All great countries have fragility. All great countries have vulnerabilities. Um, if we tear ourselves apart by supporting various other countries and not taking care of our own and not paying attention to our own, which requires unity. And unity, national unity, is a plant that needs to be watered regularly. I really want us to spend more time watering Canadian national unity and less time playing the role of armchair general uh in foreign conflicts mm. charles adler's podcast is available anywhere you get your fine podcast google apple spotify you can also go and download it at crier media uh which is our youtube channel rate and subscribe there as well i highly encourage everybody to follow charles on twitter at charles adler uh, you'll be able to get his eight minutes that matter. And you can see where Charles is coming from and you can see why he's arrived at an enlightened perspective. You can see uh, a journalist and a thought leader that isn't compromised by emotion, but the emotion he displays is for the human suffering and he lives it every day. It is in his nightmares. It is in his words. It is in the way that you live your life. And, and I'll tell you something I have never, ever, you know, and I, and I know this to be true today. I've never had an opportunity to learn from someone like you, uh, to be coached from someone like you, to to have had the experience that I've had with you over the past, you know, five, six months where my better angels um, speak to me through you and your words. And you are our conscience. Uh, you're my conscience when it comes to being able to understand what's really important when we talk about really important things. 
Um, and you always bring it back to that, that one thing, which is, you know, the human being, not the culture, not the message, but the human being and, and the education, education of said people to understand what's at stake. Right. And this isn't a joke. You know, where we're at today is not a joke. It seems to be a joke. It seems to be um, a clickbait. It seems to be a means to an end for some people when it comes to narratives or proving a point, you know, but the visuals that I've seen, the suffering that we see, the wars that we've seen, what's at stake here culturally is one thing. But when it comes to the suffering that we see on a daily basis and how to talk about those things with an accountable perspective, I couldn't be more proud to work with you. Uh, and I want to thank you for educating me and taking a minute to passionately, heartfelt, in a heartfelt way, educate people in a one-on-one -on -one way where you share a story with a person. You're not trying to camp for change. You're not trying to stump for anybody. And I think, again, that's one of the most, and I hate you know, ending the podcast by blowing a ton of sunshine, but I mean every word that I say, and I think you know that. The, um, uh, let, let me just interrupt you if, you, if you will, because um, I need for people to, to know that in terms of how I do what I do, it doesn't matter whether I'm writing a column or writing an essay for a podcast or having this conversation. It's always personal for me. And I know that even though people say that they require podcasting in their lives or TV, radio, whatever, for information, for, for knowledge, uh, uh, for entertainment, uh, for distraction, whatever, I know this. For most of us, whether we admit it publicly or not, if we're asked by others, privately, inside our own hearts, which is where we reside, the neighborhood called the human heart, what we crave is companionship. What we crave is connection. So everything I say, whether it's spoken word or written word, it doesn't matter. It's always a personal message. It's from me to you, one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. And the person in this business over all these years who understands me the best is the person that I'm sharing this platform with, Dean Blundell. He extended his heart to me. He extended his great mind, his, his beautiful mind to me. And I just couldn't be more proud to be with someone who really gets that this is all about a minute-to-minute -minute personal connection with the most important person in our lives. And that's you. Mm. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I uh, I love doing these things with you, and I appreciate your time this morning. And I know it's cold in Winnipeg, and you got a trip to Costco to make, so I'll let you go. <laughs> my, my mistress, Miss Costco. <laughs> By the way, I think it's taste testing day at Costco. I'm pretty oh my sure God. Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Better, you're gonna walk around the freezer better, corner and get a whole you know, bunch of little cheesecakes. I wish I, you know, it, it, there's there's snow out there, and I've got no weather tires. Um, I'd feel more comfy if I had uh, good snow tires. I may, uh, I may, I may talk to Miss Uber about uh, making sure that I get to Miss Costco safely. There's nothing better than having someone take you there and bring you home too. You don't have to <laughs> load it all for you and everything. Hey, dude, life hacks work too. Um, but you have a great day, and uh, thank you very much for your time. I encourage everybody to go watch your eight minutes, eight minutes the matter uh, at Charles Adler on Twitter. Please give this man a follow, download, subscribe to his podcast, uh, and you and I will chat later today, brother. Great to chat with you again. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Dean. Thanks. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Charles Adler, ladies and gentlemen. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. You know, I don't know a lot. I only know what I'm open to learning. And that seems to be maybe one of our biggest issues, right? And there are people in this world that have walked, uh, if I've walked 10,000 miles, there are people like Chuck who've walked 20, maybe 25. Uh, and on those extra 15,000, 10 to 15,000 steps that Mr. Adler and people like him that have taken, uh, they've arrived at certain conclusions. And I identify with Charles's conclusions because he's arrived at conclusions that aren't based in any kind of mob mentality. They're based in critical thought. But more importantly, they're based in what is the right thing for my neighbor? What is the right thing for my family? What is the right thing for me? And not a lot of people do that. We adopt other people's perspectives. We adopt ideologies. We adopt religions. We adopt political parties. And then we try and fit in these things that we 
groups that we join and we, 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 we try to espouse their views as opposed to your own. Mr. Adler has spent a lifetime, spent a lifetime communicating um, for himself. But like everybody else in mainstream media, you know, now has an opportunity to communicate about the things that mean the most to him. And what was true yesterday might not be true today. It's one of the most important phrases you can you can hang on to as you get older. And why it's important is you can change your mind. You can change your attitude. And I don't think Charles has ever changed those things. I think he's always been that person. You know, uh, there are people like us that have done work in certain industries, specifically in the media industry, which I am down on, obviously. And we talk about it from time to time. There are people like us that have done jobs on behalf of other people. Now we have an opportunity to do jobs on behalf of ourselves to communicate what we believe is is important. And I think what Charles believes is important doesn't sit in a, in a, in a who you vote for doesn't sit with the political party, doesn't sit with any institutional ideology. It sits with your life experiences in what is best for the republic that you live in. How do you make the world a little bit better for everybody around you where you are? And that's just through conversations. That's through vulnerability, right? And the eight minutes that matter that he put out yesterday about veterans, about his nightmares um, is, is that vulnerable piece that a lot of people don't think that you can, you can, uh, you can verbalize today publicly. Like we don't think that we can talk about the things that we struggle with, but it's in those struggles that people find each other. Right. You know, I identify with the human condition. And that human condition is right now confusion. A lot of people are confused about what they believe, what's right for them, which might not be right for somebody else, but what's right to them is more important than that, right? That's a lie. That's a lie. That's selfish. You know, what's bad for the bee is bad for the hive. And I believe that. And when we have people that are, being bad to themselves, hurting other people, uh, whether it be with information. We've got literal institutions trying to hurt other people with information, trying to lie to each other, trying to lie to you about what the truth is or about what you should believe or about why you should believe it. Because don't we share common values? Don't we share those things? No, we don't. No, we don't. <coughs> and we get caught up in their rhetoric. And then we join the mob. Then we put flags that belong to other countries on the end of broomsticks. And then we march down the street and we prevent Jimmy from getting home to his family. And we prevent Ahmed from getting home to his family. And we stop traffic because we feel like these warriors. We're not. We're just people that have bad information. We're people that think that um, we can affect change for our culture because of what we believe or this emotion that we feel. Emotions are liars. And I believe that to be true, too. I believe that when you respond in anger uh, to something, when you respond in anger to another human being over an issue that happens 20,000 miles away, um, I believe that you don't have perspective. I believe that you are unwell. And I am with Chuck on that. Hey, man, you want to fly the flag of another country in our country? And you want to try to upset people who came here for a better life, people who were just trying to get to work, people who are just doing their jobs. I believe that that is wrong. I believe it's bad. I believe it, it is um, an operation. I believe that it is PR. I believe that we have terrible men and women, in most cases just men, terrible authoritarian values that run certain countries and militaries. I believe those things. And I believe they use Abrahamic faith. And religion and to hide behind it like a shield and to use it like a sword. And that's what I think we're seeing. And I think anybody that has the ability to reason, anybody that understands the history of conflict in that area or any area of the world um, can have empathy, but just for the human suffering, not for the people trying to drive a result, not for countries that say, hey, I stand with this geographic piece of land. I stand for this flag. I don't stand for any of that shit. I stand for none of it. I stand for common sense. 
I stand for accountable information. And I stand for not hurting other people, hurting other cultures, doing the wrong thing. Because you stand to benefit. One person, one group, one culture stands to benefit. So we kill each other. We show up to Young Dundas Square with these broomsticks and flags. We get in fights and we tell each other that you're pejorative names. Let's just say that. We tag each other and we tell each other that, oh, that person's this, so they're vermin. That person's this, they're a colonizer, they're a settler, they're a terrorist. You don't know those things. You're just taught those things. Like racism is taught, which it is. So think for yourself today a little bit, right? Critical thought. Read a little bit more. Talk to other people. Talk to people that know something about conflict or culture. Talk to people who understand a variety of different positions on religion, government, wars, geopolitical stuff. I mean, information is there. All you have to do is go and look it up. All you have to do is actually read. And everything I read tells me that we are wrong, man. The way we are responding to each other, not in kind. Over a terrorist attack 20,000 miles away in the subsequent war that was started by said terrorist attack. Everybody's trying to drive their own result. Everybody virtue signals. That's the sickest part of this whole thing to me, right? It really, really is. Watching politics and media intersect with human suffering and try and make money from it. Try and make hay around it. Try and get more clicks, more followers, more donations because of it. Support us because we support this group. So give us money and then we'll continue to support that group. Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. It's awfully frustrating. Because we're better than this. At least I am. I know Charles is. So I challenge you to be. I really do. Have a great day. Uh, thanks for being part of the show. Really appreciate it. Don't forget, you can get everything you do at uh, Cryer Media, Cryer.co. Uh, that's where you can find Charles Adler. Please go rate, subscribe, and download his podcast today. Uh, he is the conscience and the voice of what media should be in this country. And if you ask me in North America, um, what about the human beings? What about the people who really suffer? Go and listen to Charles. Uh, go and download him. Get a whole bunch of his common sense in your life and do it today. Also want to thank our friends and partners at Cantorque, makers of fine torque wrenches, loosening and fastening solutions in heavy machinery, industries like nuclear industry, railroad industry, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, call in to my friend. He's got a brand new website that's coming very soon, so you can go and check it out. doesn't matter what application you need a bolting solution for. You will be able to find it at Cantorque.com. Also, our friends at Muse Massage Spa. Go to Muse Massage Spa today if you're looking for some companionship and someone to give you a wonderful massage. Now, not only that, you can listen to their podcast. you got Emily and you've got the beautiful Riley. And they do a podcast, and it's called Muse on the Mic. It's a look inside sex work. It's a look inside the industry. It's a look inside the community. Uh, they are advocates. They are entrepreneurs. They are incredibly bright, very well-educated young ladies who deliver an incredible podcast with some incredible stories. You can go to their Patreon, Muse on the Mic on Patreon. Go and download it anywhere you get your fine podcast. You can all go, also go to Cryer Media, Cryer.co. Go to the podcast section, find Muse on the Mic. Uh, and go and visit my friends at Muse as well, 1290. Finch Avenue West in beautiful Toronto, Ontario. Uh, again, Muse on the Mic, the podcast, MuseMassageSpa.com. And uh, go and visit my friends, Emily and Riley, and their bevy of wonderful ladies at uh, 1290 Finch Avenue West Have a, in Toronto. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Appreciate you being part of the show. We'll be back tomorrow. Lock and Cross will join me. And we'll go for it again then. Bye.
do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.